Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Creek. And we are your reliable hosts here every Monday in the container, all snug and warm. Um, we Dig Plants aims to bring the culture to horticulture. And today we are going to time travel and a little bit. And I want you to, um, I want you to imagine a world where there is no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram or blogs. You are a gardener and a plant lover, and you want to find like-minded people, people who share your love of plants, and in your case, orchids. But it could really be any genus or category of plants, from tree-dwelling bromeliads to cottage garden herbs. How do you go about finding a place to show off that rare cactus that you coached into flowering or learn from some seasonal expert how to prune bonsai? Well, Alice and I had the privilege many years ago of witnessing this great pre-internet exchange of information pre-internet <laughs> pre-internet um, what is it that you're talking of <laughs> yes um it is not virtual it was an actual exchange of information at plant society meetings while we were working at the horticultural society of new york quite right quite right <laughs> the hort as was commonly known itself a relic of another age and it was just under 100 years old when when alice and i arrived there quite right was the place that many of these groups met Usually monthly to share their knowledge and experience with their tribe of plant enthusiasts, right? right. And anybody who wanted to join and, and pay the nominal yearly dues could, could participate. And these people, they were, they were a really interesting group. They had jobs, you know, they had families and the whole other life outside of their plant Society. societies. Right. But when they were there, it was like a party of, of like-minded souls, you right. know? Where you could just <clears throat> indulge for two hours about, you know, the genus Daffodil, Narcissus. Yeah, you yeah. Know? it was very esoteric and beautiful and, and amazing. So, as And this is then where the flower shows yes, came exactly. grew out of these plant society meetings and the competitions. Exactly. And the exchange of information. And we think some of that should come back. So, so you know, as staff members of the Hort, you know, sometimes we had to lock up after their meetings. Right. You know, sometimes Alice and I were really mad about that. Yeah. Um, but we had we, to cut cheese for their meetings. We had to cut meetings. cheese and we had to <laughs> serve wine. But the the sort of side benefit was, you know, we got to sit in the back and we we obtained a kind of free-form, informal education on everything from bromeliad culture to choosing plants for rock gardens, even Ikebana, uh-huh. you know, the art of, you know, Japanese flower arranging. 
So this tradition of these societies for the advancement of, of a particular subject has a really long history, and many of them can trace their roots back to the golden age of exploration and horticulture in the 17th and 18th centuries. Right. For example, the Royal... Quite right. Quite right. Um, the Royal Horticultural Society in England, the, national, the Natural um, Geographic Society in the U.S., they have evolved, but they're still going strong, and they continue to disseminate the knowledge to an ever-growing audience. And so is one of our biggest local groups, the Greater New York Orchid Society. And we have with us today Dave Horak. Dave has been growing orchids for more than 30 years. He is the curator of orchids and the Robert W. Wilson Aquatic House at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and was a past past president of the Greater New York Orchid Society. Welcome, Dave. Well, well, thank you so much for having me this afternoon. Thank you for joining us. So now that Alice and I have put the society in a bit of context, tell us how your group got started. Well... The Greater New York Orchid Society is certainly not the oldest orchid society in the country, but it has very deep roots in uh, the American Orchid Society and orchid growing in general. Uh, Basically, uh, back in the 1920s, orchid growers in this country formed a society called the American Orchid Society, and there was mostly commercial growers and the very wealthy. That's where a lot of the sort of sort of uh, prestige and the association with wealth and money and difficult to grow and all these sort of things with orchids <laughs> sort of developed. Right. But in the 50s, as more and more people became interested in orchids, uh, uh, societies sprung up all over the country. And here in New York, the American Orchid Society decided to start a judging system in which plants could be evaluated by people with knowledge to pursue a a more uh, esoteric sort of goal of flower perfection. And New York City was sort of the first place where that happened. Shortly thereafter, even though there were uh, orchid societies, say, on Long Island or in uh, New Jersey, here in New York City, the Greater New York Orchid Society was founded by a lot of these sort of uh, preeminent judges and uh, orchid uh, people and personalities in the orchid community. So we started back in 1955. And... uh, it's been in continuous um, operation since that time. Uh, there's been an ebb and flow. You know, it was a small organization and pretty much a suit-and-tie crowd back in the early days. Uh, and then it really exploded through the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And now we're a smaller group, but uh, still getting together and... Uh, you know, really just enjoying the passion of growing these really wonderful plants. It was, um, it was amazing when we were at the Hort. Um, we would watch the the specific groups come in yeah and they would all be carrying you know their little <laughs> kind of like suitcases filled with and crates with <laughs> yeah filled with their you know bonsai or their rock garden plants or or the orchids and and Carmen and I really got an amazing education and kind of a who's who um, in the field you know because we would get they would sometimes have guest lecturers and we would get to sit in on these events and um and it was just lovely to see people really get excited about plants um and not just in the HGTV sort of No, people that realm. really knew what they were talking about. Yeah. That's, that's what made it exciting. And so, trial and error and, you know, how yeah. things really and, grow. And sharing of the knowledge was really great, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and to see a perfectly grown specimen, uh-huh. you know, to, it takes time. And to talk about the know? trials and tribulations of growing that specimen. 
Well, as you pointed out earlier in the segment, as we got started, that there was a time when the only way you could get information about plants or about almost any sort of hobby or interest was through like-minded groups of people getting together. And certainly plant people are among the most passionate when it comes to their hobbies, and I think orchid growers above all. I mean, it's, it really is a disease. It's the kind of thing where uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, or a mechanic. Uh, once you've got one plant, two, four, and then it's a hundred, you want to share that sort of experience in your trials and your successes with other people. And, and the society system really worked well because it, it was an opportunity to not only get together and talk with people about how to do these, how to grow these things and, you know, what, what media worked well and all the kind of problems and things that did work, but also then most societies, as we still do today, would bring in guest speakers, uh, have a show table where you could bring your plants in, and, uh, you know, there'd be judging and uh, discussion about how these things were grown, and it's just a, it still remains probably the best way to learn about orchids, despite the internet, this, all the information that seems to be out there. You're dealing with people who know about the plants and raise them in exactly. your condition. So local orchid societies are great things, you know. So, Dave, what what drew you in particular to grow orchids? Tell it's, us about your love of orchids. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terribly long story that I'll try to distill into as short a story as possible. Um, I got introduced to orchids in the wild in Mexico, 30-plus years ago when I was collecting some plants from my undergraduate school and came across these weird things that I didn't know what they were. They, we, we, I knew they were some kind of a plant, but they just didn't make sense to me. And somebody said, this is an orchid. Well, after seeing more and more of these things out in the wild around the ruins of Yucatan, uh, the, the bugs started to bite and... Uh, um, to cut a to a very uh, to make the long story short, uh, I, I got hooked rather badly. And a woman who was a, the wife of a very famous archaeologist down there uh, helped identify some of the things I had found and start giving me other things that had been established in her garden. And and that was it. I was over the edge. And yeah. So I've been continuously either dragging them around the country <laughs> when I was in graduate school or yeah. growing them in my windows and. Uh, Subjecting my wife to freeze, it. you know, some of the high elevation plants want to be grown where the nights get down very, very cold. So in the wintertime, I would have the windows open with a fan pulling air into the apartment. See, I'm glad you said that because so many people think hot temperatures, orchids, you know, yeah. like there's some orchids. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. The thing is, the orchid family is the largest flowering plant family with over 25,000 species known. And actually, on average, more than one orchid species is discovered every day. I mean, it's, it's staggering how many new species keep coming to light out in the wild as new areas are opened up and mm-hmm. as areas are deforested and things like that. Yeah. But the diversity is so great that they range from above 14,000 feet down to sea level. So there really are orchid species for everybody from monster plants to little tiny pinhead size uh, uh, plants and uh, besides the wealth of uh, hybrids that have been man-made. I mean, right. it, it's, it's, it's broad enough to encompass everybody's interest. So what types do you grow? Well, personally, for a long time, I certainly had an interest in species and the purity of orchid species when I had them in my apartment and grew under lights. But now that I'm working at the Botanic Garden, um, 
the last few years, uh, we've really worked not only to grow the sort of rare, the endangered species, but also to have hybrids, those man-made things that most people associate with corsages, the, the big, lavish flowers that are sort of a pursuit of perfection and different ranges of colors and textures and patterns. Mm-hmm. Here at the garden, we have something on a, about 6,000 different plants, and uh, a predominant number of those are species, but there are a lot of hybrids as well, and uh, they range from the really cool, cold-growing things to those that we find in Southeast Asia at the equator, so it's, it's uh, quite a diversity. When I was in um, Hawaii, I was in Hawaii a few years ago, and there were hedges of orchids, <laughs> hedges, and it was just unbelievable. It's it gorgeous. <laughs> well, what's really remarkable is that because they do grow all over the world, from above the Arctic Circle down to the tip of South America, there are orchids, you know, well, the tropics are certainly the most densely uh, populated with different kinds of orchids. We have orchids all over the country. In fact, there are orchids growing here in New York City. Yeah, we use them a lot in our garden, the native ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And recently, the Greater New York Orchid Society was involved with a conservation project to try and protect a species out on Staten Island. Uh, really? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really remarkable that, that in such a densely populated urban area that we can sort of lose track that these things are out there. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. Well, that kind of leads me to the next question is, so you're working on conservation with the society. What other kinds of special events are you all planning? I remember when there were these extravagant orchid shows, um, and I know mm-hmm. that that isn't, that isn't happening as much anymore. Uh, One of the problems, well, certainly... Uh, our first orchid show was, the first orchid show in New York City was actually held in Brooklyn at the Dime Bank, uh, down off of Flatbush. <laughs> but uh, the New York Orchid Society put on a show from, an organized show from about 1981, I believe, until 2007, when we were at uh, Rockefeller Center, Rock Center on the rink. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and the problem with putting on a show in New York is the prohibitive expense that's involved with just space, organization, people (laughs) shipping plants in. But there are smaller events that are going on all over the tri-state region. There uh, was an orchid show about a week and a half ago uh, in uh, northern New Jersey, uh, up near Wayne. There's going to be one this weekend uh, down at the Deep Cut Orchid Show, which will be in Homedale, New Jersey. Uh, Another botanical expo that's going to be held uh, towards the end of February with a lot of orchid growers. So there are smaller orchid buying and the opportunities to see orchids and from orchid growers that are coming in, or excuse me, orchid commercial people that are coming in from all over the country okay. um, they, that are happening around here. Now, the, the show, the big international orchid show that we put on for years it is no longer being held but we're still actively working on trying to bring th- that show back to new york city and yeah. uh, hopefully um, in the next two to three years uh, be it'll great. become a reality again i remember when it was at the world financial center right yeah. was it yeah. there for a year or two Dave? It, w- it was down there from i believe 19 <coughs> excuse me <coughs> 19 um, 91 until the uh, um, Trade Center bombing, um, right, right. and so event, and um, right. um, the that is actually where we're hoping that we can bring the show back. That's a to. great venue. Oh, that would be lovely because of the it, glass, you know. Ab- yeah. yeah, absolutely. The and and they, they were yeah. they were great hosts, and they really I think are anxious to try and uh, bring that kind of spectacle and orchid event back to New York City to the people of you know downtown New York. So yeah. 
we'll all keep our fingers crossed that we can make this work. So. Yeah. Well, we have to take a break. Hang on to the line, Dave. We'll be right back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network, and today we're talking orchids. This song is called Favorite Flower by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years, so it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. We all know what a foodie is, but what's foodiness? Foodiness is turning us into those chubby, slushy, slurping, lounge chair bound morons in Wally, plugged in, pumped full of sugar, and brain dead. Chef Erica Wides is here to fight against foodiness. You have to keep drinking the Let's Get Real Kool Aid for it to start to work. Let's Get Real. Rediscover real food every Tuesday at 6 30 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, welcome back to Weedic Plants. We're talking orchids and the people who love them <laughs> with Dave Horak, orchid grower and past president of the Greater New York Orchid Society. So Dave, I have to ask you, now orchids have become much more affordable and so many more people are giving them as gifts or trying their hand at growing them. What has changed? What has caused some types to become so ubiquitous that people think of them as disposable almost? Well, I think that you've you've actually nailed it with that comment, which is is the commercial growers for the last twelve to fifteen years or so really have focused on uh, making orchids the equivalent of a pot plant, producing them so that people can enjoy them when they're in bloom, have this lavish display almost any time of the year, but when they're done blooming, throw them away. Now, most people that I know actually though are um, sort of confronted with the challenge of keeping an orchid alive, so that most people who do receive an orchid as a gift, I think, r- rarely actually throw these things away, but rather try to coax them into bloom again. Mm-hmm. And and the truth is, it's really not that difficult uh, once you know what the plants need. And and the thing is, when they bloom, they bloom forever. Like it's, it's really a long worth, time. Yeah, worth doing. Yeah, the the the. The type of orchid that most of the commercial growers have focused on are, is, a, is a type called the Phalaenopsis orchid or the moth orchid. And it's really that ubiquitous type of orchid that you see in home design magazines that for years mm-hmm. were just, you know, the big white flower. And, yes, mm-hmm. it would last for three or four months right. and easy to take care of. But increasingly, more and more colors and patterns are sort of popping up. Right. And... Uh, 
the opportunity to, to have access to orchids now has really been extended to just about everybody because they are so inexpensive yeah, and I mean, avail- widely available. Yeah, I mean, you used to be able, you used to have to get them at a florist, right? And you'd have yeah, to spend seventy five yeah. or a hundred dollars. Yeah, it was a special thing. Now you can get them for nine ninety nine at Home Depot. <laughs> you know, and you just got to wonder what's the quality like. You know what I mean? That the g- general quality now is in so many ways superior to what we had access to when it comes to these kind of hybrid mm. uh, phalaenopsis uh, compared to, again, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're coming mostly out of Taiwan or Holland or other places. But the uh, one of the bigger problems, I think, has been that there's almost this case of overexposure, that phalaenopsis have become so... Yes. common, that people are now getting attracted to the different, rare, unusual species again and right. the different colors. And, I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that. They're, yeah. they're just not quite as available, but they're, they're certainly available uh, out there. So tell us then, for the novice, what, what's a good one to start with? Well, the properties that make that ubiquitous phalaenopsis so uh, easy to take care of in, you know, in your home while it's in bloom, also lend it to be one of the probably easiest plants to start with. Um, the needs of Phalaenopsis orchids are that they like human temperatures. You know, if you're comfortable, the plant is probably going to be comfortable to, say, 80, 85 during the day and uh, around 70 at night work great for this type of plant. They don't need a lot of light, though there is a sort of... Um, um, myth that they can practically grow in the dark where people will take them and put them in the middle of the room, you know, with almost no light and think that they're going to survive. But they they do need, oh, say, an eastern exposure for about four hours a day. Bright shade is sort of the way we tend to characterize it. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically they only need to be watered approximately once a week. Usually that's what a lot of commercial growers would tell you, but the truth is what you want to do is let the plant approach dryness before watering it again. And that can vary in the wintertime and cloudy, rainy weather from once every 10 days to in the summer when it's hot and humid to maybe once every two or three days. Right, right. Uh, it depends on your environment. Exactly. Right. Now, one of the things that most that I usually run into here at the Gardener, people are always asking me, I've had this plant for a couple of years, I, um, but I've never been able to get it to bloom again, and what's the trick here? Yeah. Well, typically, phalaenopsis, which, like I said, are among the easiest, need cooling, a cooling uh, period in order to initiate blooming. So typically, most New Yorkers who may have a sort of a, a leaky-windowed old apartment in the city, if you have your plant in your window, come October when the temperatures tend to drop into the 50s, that's often enough for that plant to get that little bit of a chill near the window to initiate a flower spike mm-hmm. that will then appear in January or so. Um, <clears throat> one of the bigger problems with people who have these things in, a par- in modern apartment buildings is that the temperatures are so stable that they don't get that chill that's required in order to initiate right. the flower spike. Right. So if you live in a place where you have constantly 70-degree temperatures, you might have difficulty getting this plant to rebloom. And I think that's the biggest challenge. Most people are in kind of heat, you know, fixed windows, fixed windows sealed. I mean, there's so many apartments in New York where you can't even open the window right? yeah, in high yeah. rises. It's a challenge. Yeah. Uh, is there another orchid that might be better for that condition, Dave? Well, the, the trouble is almost all orchids rely upon either temperature change or the change in day length to initiate flower spikes. It's easy to grow many of these 
the orchids that are being offered now by commercial growers and and grow them successfully. But getting them to bloom almost always requires a change of some sort. And mm-hmm. so the dedicated grower, if this person wants to rebloom their orchid, is probably going to have to find a way to just cool it down a bit, whether it's on a patio, a sun porch, um, just getting it outside, you know, um, in the early fall before the temperatures get too cool. Now, I should qualify it all by saying that you, while the plants can go outside into the cool temperatures of the fall, you really don't want them to experience <laughs> temperatures below 50 degrees without, you know, creating problems. Right. Yeah, we've right. seen the effects of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a sad, sad sight. You know, what you were saying, Dave, about how, you know, the because the Phalaenopsis has become kind of overexposed, so mm-hmm. now what I've seen, I've actually seen this, and it just appalled me, um, I saw them died. You know, I saw them in some shops where they're dyeing them blue. And, I, you know, I'm going to speak out on this. They shouldn't be dyed blue. I don't no. care. You know, I'd rather I, have a plain white, you know, plain white ordinary Phalaenopsis. Don't make them blue. They don't need to be blue. No. <laughs> you know? But they actually they're, come in some beautiful colors. Yeah, There's some amazingly beautiful yeah. uh, orchids. Uh, even even just with Phalaenopsis, the breeding has produced such a diversity of really amazing things. But we've talked about those being the, among the easiest, but they're certainly not the only things that are available, even to the casual grower. Uh, if they do go to the big box stores, there are other types of orchids now increasingly becoming available. Catlia types, which are some of the types that people associate with those corsages, are being bred for windowsill growers so oh. that they're shorter in stature but produce flowers maybe two or three times a year. They don't last quite as long as Phalaenopsis. They may last a month or so, but you may get two flushes of blooming in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, Oncidium types, uh, which have little yellow and brown flowers, are often uh, more commonly available. But as I said, for those who really get the bug, there are orchid shows, there are plants that are being sold, certainly at florist shops, but also at, say, the Green Market at Union Square on oh. the weekends. Um, but uh, And online... Even though we encourage people to really get involved with orchid societies for information, a lot of the commercial aspects of buying plants has really gone to the Internet. And Mm -hmm. most commercial growers really do have great uh, sort of shopping lists of plants that are available. And I have to admit that now, even as a curator of a collection, when it used to be only able to buy certain things at an orchid show once a year, if a species became available um, that you saw, you would do anything you could to buy it. You would mortgage the house to buy this plant when it was available. Now, because of the Internet, a lot of these things really are accessible year-round, and it makes it easier to get species from growers from around the world and certainly around the country. Mm -hmm. And there's so much plant material now that really is available for people to grow. So as a novice, let's say, most people are, you know, novices when they first get their orchid. What should they look for when they're choosing a plant? I mean, if they're if they're buying it at a market or at a shop or at a convenience store or something, what what should they be looking at so that they know they're getting a healthy plant to to start with? Well, certainly to make sure that the plant looks healthy, that the leaves are, you know, green and turgid, uh 
just sort of succulent, and really the plant should look healthy. Uh, it's almost always the best idea to buy a plant in bloom. Uh, for those who are buying, say, a phalaenopsis or any other orchid for that matter in bloom, try to buy a plant that has a few buds on it because that means that the plant then will have the maximum amount of time um, for you to enjoy the pleasure of the flowers. If you're buying one that has all the flowers open, you have no idea whether that plant has been in bloom for three and a half months and will right. drop drop its flower soon. Um, or, um, you know, uh, if you buy it with all buds on it, you may not know what the flowers look like. So the second thing I would say is to look for plants that appear to have strong root systems and that the media, the orchids, of course, are never potted in potting soil. So right. that a lot of people don't understand that the nature of the of the plant is that it grows on the side of trees in nature, so that they're potted in often in moss or chunks of bark. And look for white, healthy, turgid roots, uh, green root tips that are often sticking out of the uh, media. And uh, um, and it's always a good idea to talk to the the person uh, who's selling it to uh, you know question them, ask them uh, you know. Um, how long have they had it? Uh, has it uh, been subjected to, uh, you know, any uh, shipping? But I think if you see a healthy plant, you're you going to be tell. starting, you know, yeah. look for something that's strong and healthy, uh, no matter what the flower looks like. Well, um, we were wondering if you would share with us, Dave, some of your favorite places to buy orchids um, so that people can try maybe some new and exotic species or types that you think might be Well, the BB... BBG shop. Yes. Well, certainly we sell them at the yeah. garden, as does do uh, as do does the uh, New York Botanic Garden. But I, I will make a special plug for those orchid events that we have in the region, such as the these uh, orchid shows in New Jersey and uh, the expo coming up, or even the uh, New York Botanic Gardens orchid show coming up. Because the opportunity then to buy, particularly the orchid shows where vendors come from all over the country yeah. and around the world actually means that not only will you get exposed to the rich diversity of plants, but they're always selling the unusual hybrids, the really unusual species, and you get a chance then to talk to the grower and say, what does this plant need? How do I treat it? Can I grow this on my windowsill, or you know, or do I have to have a greenhouse? And, and they're the ones who will give you that information, whereas if you go to the garden center to buy the plants, even if it's an unusual thing, yeah. you may have no information about where it came from. Or misinformation, um, too. Yeah, yeah no, and, I, and, I, and going back to the very beginning of our conversation, I strongly encourage either going to the American Orchid Society website and uh, getting information there, as well as checking out what local orchid societies are around. Certainly mm-hmm. Greater New York, but there are several in the region, and there you'll find people who can not only aim you at the right kind of plants, but uh, give you help with the ones that you do have. Yeah, Carmen and I... Um Worked on a story for Martha Stewart uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, um, a houseplant story. So we we did some shopping and research and provided them with plants, and we had to find fragrant or- orchids, <laughs> which mm-hmm. was actually kind of difficult in yes. New York City. And yeah. we went to the flower market, and you know, a lot of the people in the flower market were kind of like at a loss, even for. You know, because they just get their delivery in, and, and yeah. they're not necessarily they're not, they're not trained yeah. orchid experts. You know, it's just one of of several things that they sell. So, yeah. 
And you know, the thing that people are buying orchids for their flowers. When they're out of bloom, most of them, most yeah. of the typical ones that are available, aren't that attractive, Dave. Let's face it. I mean, re- <laughs> I mean, you might disagree. Yeah, but most people will. Well, not- they want the sexy house plant. Like yeah. they want yeah. that flower. Hey, there's you know? no, it's no accident that that there was orchid mania during the Victorian age. You know right. what I mean? Like right. they mm-hmm. just would take any kind of sexiness they could get. Well, I know? have to say, I'm a I'm I love clivias. You know, yes. and I mm-hmm. love even when they're not in flower that full. Foliage is gorgeous, yeah. and it sits right next to my orchids. Well, Dave, will you give out the website for uh, Greater New York so people can can uh, hear contact that? you contact and ask you, you questions? Ab- absolutely, <laughs> the Greater New York Orchid Society has a website. It's gnyos dot org. Great. We're also on Facebook with a really wonderful Facebook page. The society itself meets on the third Wednesday of every month. We meet up in the Bronx. Uh, it's accessible by public transportation. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a ordeal in a way, but um, there is uh, so many opportunities. There are so many opportunities to get information about orchids, see orchids, and and certainly the Greater New York Orchid Society. The people that are there are really dedicated both to each other and the plants. It's a good social environment for just sharing the experience of growing orchids. Mm-hmm. And I also remind people that come to the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. I especially appreciate the hothouses now, now in, in the winter <laughs> when, it's really, when it's really dismal out. You know, there's always something in Bloom Dave there, right? And, and yeah. Absolutely. And we, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, just a wild, almost jungle adventure to come into the aquatic house where the orchids are. So there's always something in Bloom. And uh, we'd, we'd love to have people come and see more of our collection. And you grew last year of the the biggest orchid in the world, right? In terms of like weight or size, right? Well, the species <laughs> bloomed in it. It was a species. It's called the tiger orchid. It was Gramatophyllum speciosum, which comes from Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. and our plant probably weighs 250, 300 pounds. But the uh, it had 20 flower spikes on it that were in excess of eight feet long, with over wow. 120 flowers on each one. So, yes, it is one of the truly. Uh, truly uh, important orchid species that we have in our collection, one of the things I think we're most proud of. Are you ready to divide that? Uh, I think it's going to be a while before we take it down again to divide. I'll tell I'm you, just there, saying, we, I'm putting is, it out there. There is there. a whole repotting segment on Flickr of the repotting of the tiger orchid at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden that's worth seeing for anybody who uh, wants to that, I would watch that, the, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, I have to admit that <laughs> we'll we had such a that. great time. We'll, uh, we'll post that on our family. You had page. to build. You had to build a box, right? Did you had to build a yes, whole? The the orchid hangs above one of the pools in our aquatic house, so it had to be repotted in the in the pool, basically, because it was too big to take down and move on to the perimeter sidewalk. So right. we built a monster basket, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was a it's a it's a wonderful uh, slide set to uh, well, see. A- that's a fun project at work, you know? That's that's a nice job that you have. Well, Dave, well I'm very grateful to get a, have a job in which I get paid to grow orchids. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, I'm very lucky. That's a lovely life. Well, so great to have you on as a guest. I'm sorry we are out of time right now, but we will post um, your link on our Facebook fan page again. And uh, I think I want to show that video, too, of the repotting. That seems fun. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. And we, uh, we are 
We'll talk more orchids maybe next on next season. Yeah, There's, it's, such a, it's such Thank a giant topic. Thank you so much topic. for allowing me to uh, share our, my passion, certainly. And if anybody has questions about orchids, they can certainly post questions to the Greater New York Orchid Society webpage or on Facebook, and we'll be happy to help people out. Great. Thank you. Well, you've been di- listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. This show will be available for listening via archive at heritageradionetwork.org and also via podcast. Um, we're going to be posting, like Alice said, a link to the website on our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants. Thanks to Joe G for uh, producing and engineering our show, and see you in the garden. Happy gardening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.